This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Fundamentalist Christianity may have lost some access to power in the last election, but it has long-term plans. In your new book, Quiverful, Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement, our guest today, Catherine Joyce, introduces us to a world where women live within stringently enforced doctrines of wifely submission and male headship, in families of 12 and more children that will, they hope, enable them to win the religious and cultural wars through demographic means. Joyce's writing has appeared in The Nation, Mother Jones, Salon, the Harvard Divinity Bulletin, and The American Prospect. She currently writes and produces at the Revenue Watch Institute. Catherine Joyce, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing very fine. Thanks for being with us. Now, are you working at the Revenue Watch Institute right now? Is that where we're calling you? Absolutely. In New York? Yep. What, What do you do there exactly, or what does the group do? Revenue Watch Institute is is a bit of a a different topic. Um, We promote transparency in the oil and gas industries so that resource-rich countries in the developing world can actually benefit from the resources that are being mined and extracted there rather than having that money feed into corruption and increased poverty. Wow, that sounds good to me. Now, now, can I ask you, so you make this, you get a hold of this information and you make it available to the populace of that event, or how does um, that work? Revenue Watch works with civil society organizations and training them to get a better deal from the government and training governments to get a better deal from multinational corporations. And to a more limited extent, we also work with industry in kind of promoting the idea of transparency as something that's a benefit all around. Okay. Well, now, now how did the Quiverful movement get your attention? Um, in, in my other life, I am a, re- a religion reporter, um, and so I began working on Quiverful about four years ago when I was researching the movement of pro-life pharmacists who were refusing to dispense birth control to women on the grounds that they were claiming birth control, hormonal birth control, was functioning as a silent abortion. And I was... A little bit confused by this, as a lot of people were when this really started to take off a few years ago, because I assumed that the anti-abortion movement would not really have a problem with contraception, and that this was really something that was the province of the Catholic Church. But what I found when I looked into it is that there was a very vibrant and full and well-developed anti-contraception movement among evangelicals as well, who had started taking some of the Catholic teachings and using them to, to fight family planning within their own congregations and to say that women should be leaving their family planning, their family size, the spacing of their children completely in God's hands as a demonstration of radical faith and trust in God and also kind of as a collateral benefit as a way for the Christian church to grow by just having exponentially more members. Now, is this the backbone of Quiverful? Is this really what they stand for, is huge families? Well, they end up being huge families. What they stand for is leaving family planning entirely in God's hands. Uh, It's based on Psalm 127 of the Bible, which says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
And so they, they speak, and I heard a little bit of this in your introduction, they speak explicitly about children as being a, an unqualified blessing, always a blessing that Christian couples should be accepting from God because you shouldn't be turning down any blessings from God. Mm-hmm. To what extent are we talking about, uh, in your experience, what percentage of this movement is non-white? Um, I don't have a, a hard percentage because there are no hard numbers on Quiverful, but I would say it's a marked minority. This is, by and large, a very white fundamentalist movement. It's not entirely white, and there are uh, interracial couples and people of color within it, but by and large, it's very white, very evangelical. Um, what well, seems like it's a belief-based system. It has nothing to do with racism, as far as I can tell. I, they, mm-hmm. they truly believe, I, I think, that if you, if you accept Christ and you take the Bible literally and you... Uh, I, I guess the real question I'm having here is, do they take this politically at all, though? I did uh, hear that they're involved in changing demographics, or at least that's in the back of their uh, agenda here, is... Mm-hmm. is uh, reproducing so much that they've they've uh, taken over is do they ever talk about that? Sure, sure they do, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is uh, on the the face of it a racist movement by any means. I don't think that the people who are involved in this have that as a motivation. However, there are some kind of troubling undertones in the mm. way some of the leaders speak about this as a movement to keep pace with uh, Muslim population growth. So they, they frequently reference mus- Muslim birth rates in Europe or around the world and say, you know, if they're having this many children and the Christian people are cutting off their seed, what is going to happen in a few years or a few generations' time? So there's a lot of a kind of covert talk about the need to, to keep pace with Muslim birth rates, which I find troubling and I, I find can lend itself to uh, definite racialized thinking, but I don't think that that is the motivation for most of the, the lay people in the movement. However, there is definitely a marked focus on demography, uh, aside from any racial considerations. A lot of the books which founded this movement that people who are within this movement have read, which gave them inspiration, are called things like Be Fruitful and Multiply, Birthing God's Mighty Warriors, uh, Full Quiver, Family Planning and the Lordship of Christ. That last book was a 1989 book by a Nebraska homeschooling couple, Rick and Jan Hess. And in it, they explicitly said, uh, what would happen if the Christian church started having not just six children each, but, you know, really full quivers of eight, ten, or twelve children each. In a few generations' time, we would be able to take over both halls of Congress. We would be able to reclaim cities like San Francisco for the faithful. We would be able to wage massive and effective boycotts against companies that aren't doing God's will. So they certainly have long-term demographic projections. But I think what's most interesting and possibly most concerning is not whether or not those demographic fantasies are going to come true, but the position they're putting women in on their way there. Yeah. yeah talk a little bit about that. What, what are the, the rules to, uh, for women in Quiverful? Sure. Well, the rules for women in Quiverful um, itself are pretty much limited to issuing all birth control and submitting your body, submitting your womb to God's control. But that goes hand in hand 
with a broader message of wifely submission that ranges far broader than the quiverful movement to really much of the evangelical church or most, much of the conservative church, which really prizes wifely submission to male headship. Headship is a, a key term that's spoken of a lot. In some more extreme circles, they explicitly call this the patriarchy movement. They're reclaiming the title, so this is not just my you know, Women's Studies 101 putting the term on it, but they call themselves proudly the patriarchy movement. They have publications like The Patriarch's Path or Patriarch Magazine, um, and they, they focus a lot on this is God's role for families, they say. They say that women are supposed to be gracious, submissive wives to their husbands who are supposed to be uh, loving servant leaders in the role of Jesus Christ leading the church. The church would be the woman and the man would be Christ. Um, the way this is expressed in actual marriages can vary a lot. There are a number of ministries that teach this in kind of one-on-one training mentorship relationships to women, and this is a very common thing across a lot of mainstream evangelical churches, such as the Southern Baptist Convention, which is not fringe at all, that's 16 million members. And there they're, they're teaching women, you know, kind of the basics of submissive wifehood and also the domestic arts, but basically mostly teaching them how to be a submissive, loving wife to their husband, no matter kind of what their husband is doing. So I think that this has real mainstream applications. Go ahead, Mike. Well, we're speaking with uh, Catherine Joyce. The book is Quiverful Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement. I'm just curious about uh, male headship. If if I were going to, uh, what are my limitations as a man, as in male headship within a family? I, do I tell everybody what to do? Can does everybody ask permission of me uh, to do things? Do do I get to say who gets educated and who doesn't, and what their interests should be, and and what time we go to bed? Or what what are the boundaries there? Sure. I mean, it's it's a big range, and it represents, you know, the range of uh, Christianity in the United States, which is huge. Within the hardcore patriarchy movement, it is all of those things. It is a wife submitting a daily schedule to her husband so that he can order her day as he best sees fit. I mean, these are mostly homeschooling families where the wife is a stay-at-home mother who, who raises her children and teaches her children. So already they're a bit more isolated from the world. Even in more milder, form, milder forms of this, uh, known as complementarianism, they say that it's an acknowledgement that the husband will always have the, quote, burden of the final say in any disagreement. So the husband will always be the ultimate authority. Um, it means being constantly sexually available to your husband. It means this is a, a phrase that's often repeated in the literature of biblical womanhood, is viewing love not as a feeling but as a choice so that you never have any option of uh, you, saying that you've fallen out of love because love is a compact that you've made with your husband. It's a choice that you've made to honor and respect him, not a feeling that's within you. And so that kind of that rationalizes a lot of sacrifice that women are expected to perform. Um, it means, yes, basically honoring and obeying unless your husband is asking you to sin. Now, just in, in the context of today's society, I mean, there's a tempt, I'm tempted here to, to, uh, to paraphrase Dick Cheney and call these the dead-enders, in a sense. Hmm. You know, the sort of the, the remnants of, of, uh, a, uh, of the Reconstructionist movement 
Uh, and sure. I want to talk a little bit about R.J. Rushtuni and, and, and his impact on all this because it gets to the point I was making, trying to make earlier about there, th- this seems to be heading, if it's not certainly in and of itself a white supremacist uh, movement, it, it's, it's sort of a cousin to this kind of r- radical, biblical governing that mm-hmm. Rushtuni was, was an advocate for. And by virtue of that, sort of the militant side of all of this seems to be as we we just heard this week, a, a, an increased activity on the part of sort of these uh, right wing, radical right wing Christian right. Uh, white supremacists. I, I'm not trying to say they're all like this, and I understand what you're saying here that there are some people who have taken this to heart and who you know believe it. But it's hard to to, to sort of veer away from this idea that they're, that it's not going in that direction, or it's not it's not been or it won't be co opted at the end of the day by that by that movement. Am I am I completely off base here? No, I don't think you are. I I I think you're absolutely right that that is present in a lot of the leadership. Yeah. Um, some of the leadership kind of speak explicitly about we have to outbreed the Muslims, and they also have some kind of disturbing ties to neo Confederate groups in the South. And a lot of these people are coming from the Reconstructionist movement. I think that's the leadership, and the leadership has a lot of these troubling ties. I think a lot of the lay people are not motivated by that so much. However, they are consuming vast amounts of literature and media produced by these leaders to to shape them in in the discipline of the movement. So I think you're absolutely right. Well, I guess what I, another way of putting this as well is that uh they're not going to lead with with the uh, the dark side of this movement. They're going no. to lead with, and there's an obvious, there is, in fact, uh, uh, demographic uh, evidence to support this idea that the quote-unquote white race is, in fact, because of a lot of reasons, economic and otherwise, is the birth rates have declined in Europe. These are, mm-hmm. these, they've taken threads of truth and blown, it seems to me, and blown them up into this, very dire idea that uh, that the end end times are near in a sense, and uh, if we don't repopulate, Absolutely. and so it's I'm I'm wondering what can we what what is going on that uh, because in this day and age uh, women I mean the idea that women are willingly accepting this is 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 just hard to believe I mean. Absolutely. I mean, and you're you're totally right about how they're approaching the situation in Europe, and I write a little bit about that. I mean, the, the Christian right and fundamentalists in general have traditionally been extremely media savvy and very opportunistic about seeing trends around them and, and bending them to their message. So they're, they're shaping, you know, existing trends according to... Uh, a predetermined solution. In Europe, uh, they're talking, they've been peddling a softer version of Quiverful, mm-hmm. uh, much as there's a softer version of the patriarchy movement in Europe. Uh, one Quiverful supportive group, a coalition called the World Congress of Families, which is a coalition of pretty much all of the major U.S. religious right groups across uh, across the denominations, uh, evangelical, Catholic, and Mormon, and a spattering of interfaith representation as well. And they had their most recent conference in Warsaw in 2007, and the topic of that was demographic winter. And they brought this message that Europe is dying because of demographic winter, because of its embrace of feminism, secularism, gay rights, women's rights, women working. And the solution to this, and they're you know hyping this up with a, a lot of implied threats about immigration, saying, you know, uh, Europe's churches are going to be turned into mosques, that sort of thing, referencing old 
almost crusades era battles yeah. between the Ottoman Empire and uh, you know Polish Christianity, Polish Catholicism, and and saying that the solution to this is for all of Europe to begin having great families, so families of three or four children each. Every woman in Europe needs to have three or four children each. So it's a much lighter version than, say, Michelle Duggar and her 18 children, but they're certainly still uh, passing this on, and they use the same language. They say, you know, in their natural family manifesto, let every family be open to a full quiver of children. So they're certainly passing on the message by taking full advantage of this trend and these fears that are there now. Now, Catherine Joyce, how much is the Catholic Church in Europe embraced? I know we have a very conservative pope now, mm-hmm. and has said some things lately that are, I mean, pretty, pretty scary in a way. Right. Uh, what? How? How much are, are is the Catholic Church embracing this? Well, the the Catholic Church has uh, really strongly partnered with a lot of these evangelical Christian right groups from the U.S., and they've partnered with them in Europe, um, all over Latin America, a bit in Africa as well. And the last two popes, it's not just Pope Benedict, but also Pope John Paul, uh, have said a a couple of interesting things, uh, really kind of raising these concerns about low birth rates. Pope Benedict canonized... um, an Italian mother from the 1800s who was the mother to, I believe, 12 children, so he canonized her for being a very prolific mother. Uh, Pope John Paul made an anomalous address to the Italian Parliament uh, before before he died, telling them that they need to really be concerned about birth rates. And this was something striking, because the Pope had not addressed the Italian Parliament uh, since the days of fascism, which is also when Italy had, you know, a very vivid and vibrant pronatalist policy. So it, it raised a lot of alarms for people who remembered that resonance. We're speaking with Catherine Joyce. The book is Quiverful, Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement. Uh, is there a particular age group that they're targeting? Are they going toward teens? Uh, are they getting them young, or are they they're hoping already established families within the Christian community? Are they are they outreaching at all? Sure, they they do a tremendous amount of outreach through the homeschooling community. Uh, most quiverful families do end up homeschooling, and. In just general homeschool conferences across the United States, I attended one in Massachusetts, which you wouldn't really think of as a hotbed for the Quiverful movement. Still, a number of leaders were there, and they were preaching just these messages. They were preaching wifely submission to a packed audience of Massachusetts homeschoolers, and all of their Quiverful materials were on display and to be sold. the most, one of the most prominent and successful homeschooling ministries, Vision Forms, a Texas-based ministry, is also one of the most fervent advocates of Quiverful, and they sell enormous amounts of material to homeschoolers around the country who then adopt these beliefs, introduce them to their churches. Churches sometimes split over these materials and these convictions, and all the time I think it is growing a little bit in fundamentalist corners that are out of the sight of the media. And I also think they are certainly doing their best to keep children within the movement. It's it's a system from a dating age idea of um, this era. Uh, very prominently with him since he was such a leader in the homeschooling movement and in advocating that Christians get back to the land and get back to large families in a bit of an isolationist mindset. And that was during the late 70s to mid-80s. And I think then a lot of families 
took up that torch and they they ran with it. So now we're in the second generation. We're just starting to have the the oldest children of many of these Quiverful families getting married and starting their own families. And it seems so far that a number of them are staying within it. So they're passing down this ideology. Mm-hmm. Now, now uh, we know, uh, as people who have lived in the world and of the world, uh, that understand that demographics and but ec- the economy has an effect on on the way people uh, marry and what happens in in these sort of social re- interactions. Uh, and it, we know that as women have become more a, a vital part of the economic structure of our country, that they, they've. They have more control and are asserting themselves more and more. But now we're heading into kind of an economic downturn, mm-hmm. it seems, uh, and it could get worse. We don't know exactly what's around the corner. Is that going to fuel? Do you think that that will have an impact on, on Quiverful and, and this movement? I, I think that's a, a really good question, and I'm not sure that I know the answer to it. But I, I think the sense of crisis uh, certainly could exacerbate a lot of their uh, the appeal of their arguments, um, which are already appealing to often to a lot of people who think that modern society has gone wrong and they need to to get back to you know a pre-industrial model of family life, and I think uh, different challenges to to who's being laid off or who's making money could possibly add add some fuel to their fire. Are there are there many people? leaving the church? Are are there a lot of uh, disenchanted? We were talking about the ones that are staying, but do you find that Mm -hmm. there are uh, recovering quiverfuls out there? Quiverful Anonymous? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, uh, just first a quick clarification. It's not one church, but it's really a cross-denominational phenomenon. Um, But I have spoken to a number of women who have left, and it's it's been fascinating to to speak with them having left and to hear what a difficult experience it was for them to sever those ties because they are women who often have you know between eight and twelve children and they're going out they're they haven't been working probably for twenty years except in the home where they've been doing you know an enormous amount of work but they haven't they don't have any work experience on their resumes generally they're not going to have references because they're going to be cut off from a community they'll be shunned by their community often so they're going out into the world with really little to be certain of except possibly, uh, you know, finding help from a, a sympathetic church or, you know, some government assistance programs. And it's it's very terrifying for a lot of them to do so, but I think a number of them are starting to be more vocal and organize a little bit better and talk about some of the depression and exhaustion and just feelings of being overwhelmed but feeling like they were compelled to live this lifestyle out of obedience to God that they weren't able to share before. I'll tell you, a a, a movement based on the the strength and resiliency of your uterus seems Mm -hmm. to be doomed to failure at some level. (laughs) I mean, this is just, I mean, I I understand all the other, the, uh, you know, social and political and otherwise implications of this, but... uh, at some point, it's the women are seem to be the, the they're the they're the pivotal point in this in this movement. It's it's their it's their standing up for themselves that will determine the future of this movement. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is Quiverful Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement. Catherine Joyce, um, good luck to you and all your endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, 
or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals. <laughs>